Welcome to Exploring the Industry, where we find out what God's doing in the entertainment world. I get to interview Christians from various entertainment industries. They share their stories of faith and transformation with you and I. I'm hosting people from many different backgrounds to share what God is doing and where he's shown up most in their lives and their careers through their highs and lows. We're believing to influence the narrative of how Christians perceive what God's doing in the entertainment industry around the world. If a picture is worth a thousand words, their story is worth a thousand sermons. Come join the conversation and welcome to the show. Pat Boone has had one of the longest running entertainment careers in history. He has been at the top of the charts in music, acting, and authoring. He also has been a featured voice in Christianity around the world. Today, we're going to look for a glimpse of the spiritual journey of how his deep faith impacted his career, his family, and ultimately the world. I'm going to ask Pat to share never-before-told stories of his divine appointments with A-list entertainers. I also want to catch up to how he is doing after the recent death of his beloved wife, Shirley Boone. Pat isn't just a cultural icon, he is a spiritual forerunner and a father to Christians in the entertainment industry everywhere today. Join me, Sean Bowles, on Exploring the Industry. Welcome to today's Exploring the Industry, and I'm so excited about today because we have like a grandfather in the spirit over the entertainment industry, Pat Boone. I think <laughs> Hollywood and music and kingdom royalty <laughs> in a real way. I just want to honor you. I know it sounds weird for us to say that, but it's just so true. You've, you've been in this for so long. Man, I better charge for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start doing all your intros, you know. <laughs> if I'm that important. No, I... Well, no, you, you've stood on some ground that not many people have stood on. And there's just now people who... We've been last in line to a lot of these industries you've been in. And there's just now people who are coming into it as reinforcements to what you've built through these you know, 50 plus years. I will say that, yeah, I, my career is miraculous. Yes. No question, because I didn't, I didn't bring that much to it as far as I can tell. I mean, I, I, I sing, but a lot of people sing. I sing well, a lot of people sing well. Um, I didn't know anybody in particular in the early days. I, I, I was not even planning to be a pop singer. I oh, wanted wow. to be, I dreamed of it, but yeah. I was out, I remember many, several years milking the family cow and, you know, it doesn't take much brain power. So I'm just <laughs> just milking the family cow, Rosemary, and um, thinking how great it would be if I was a pop singer like those that I idolized at the time, Perry Como, Eddie Fisher, Nat King Cole, um, Bing Crosby, of course, my real, if I had an idol. Um, but, you know, the chances of me milking Rosemary, <laughs> ever being a, a, a movie singer or TV or any of that. It just was impossible. So when I fell in love with this woman, Shirley Boone, yeah. in high school, and we married at 19, we had to make some serious decisions about what I was going to be and do. I sang all yeah. over Nashville for free just because people learned I could sing and I would sing the latest pop tunes. Uh, you can't, I couldn't count on that as a career, so I was going to be a school teacher preacher. Oh, wow. School teacher. You know, preacher. I've heard that before, actually, that yeah. you were going to do that. Do you, I think it's funny because when you're talking about the, the cow, yeah. I'm thinking how God must have just been hovering over that dream. And many people have just an idealistic dream, yeah. but he knew he could use you. I wouldn't even call it a prayer. It was, yeah. a, it was a dream. It was, but Yeah. But I think God hovers over those those moments for people that he knows mm -hmm. where the end result will be. Like yeah. he, he could trust you with something. Because part of the dream was if I were ever a pop singer and like Eddie Fisher or Perry Como or those guys, I realized they had such influence, which they use sometimes to do good things, to raise money for causes. Yeah. So I thought, boy, if I were a successful pop singer, 
I could, in my spare time, I could raise money for hospitals, for education, for Christian causes, and I would do that. Wow. And and as you just said, maybe God said, hmm, this is what you would do if you had a pop singing career. Well, let's see. Well, and we talk to a lot of people, um, like I'll do events in the entertainment industry, and one of the things I always say is, if you'll fall in love with who God's in love with, he'll give you an audience. Mm-hmm. Like he'll give you a platform, but you have to, you have to be in it for his love for the world. Not like God so loved the world that he sent his son. So he's yeah. not going to send you unless you're in love with who he's sending you to. And you've had this amazing career of just doing so much behind the scenes and not just as a conservative in politics or as a author to family issues and these kinds of things, mm-hmm. but you've done so much. You've lent your fame and you've lent your, your platform to so many different types of causes that I don't know that I've ever met anyone who's done that before. But let's get back to the story, though. Well, that's what you just said is is a continuation of it because I think the reason that he, listening to my daydreams yeah. <laughs> and, and somewhat of a prayer uh, and my expressed motive to be a singer so that I could do some good things yeah. from the platform if he gave it to me. Well... When the platform came so miraculously, I felt the obligation, not the obligation, but the opportunity to do what I had told God I would do if it ever happened. And so all the charities, the telethons, the, the, um, the fundraising things that I have done over the years, some of them spectacularly successful that most people don't even know Shirley and I had anything to do with, but these were opportunities that, that I felt were the reason that I was having the success yeah. I was having. Because when it began to happen, I'd won a national talent contest. didn't lead to anything. It was like the original American Idol type thing. It was called Ted Max Amateur Hour. And I won it three weeks in a row. The viewers, the cards and letters, were elected. They were selecting the winner each week. And if you won three weeks in a row, which I did, then you qualified for an eventual showdown with other three-time winners whenever it might happen. And it was well over a year, but after I won the three times before they called me to come back and compete with other three-time winners. In the meantime, I had married Shirley. We'd moved to Denton, Texas. I was on my way to being a teacher, school teacher, and I was preaching in a little country church, Slidell, a little one-room. There's a picture of it in one of these books here (laughs) out in a wheat field. And I was preaching on Sundays. Shirley pregnant now, and we were expecting our first child, and she was so happy that she she was the daughter of Red Foley, the great country singer. The last thing she wanted was to be involved in the entertainment business. <laughs> I'm sure. So now she's because she sang all growing up too. Yeah, so she she's was like a good singer. Done with that. Excited, she's marrying a but preacher she'd have teacher. Enough of that, and she knew I loved to sing, but I was going to be a teacher. We were going to have a quiet life, picket yeah. fence, three or four kids, summers off, and that's what she was looking forward to. And I was preaching in this little country church, and I was not asking for anything for it. It was good experience, uh, good training. But then one Sunday, they gave me the collection. It was only like 40 people in this little country church, and it was about $25. And I knew that I had put in five oh. <laughs> because oh. because I was tithing on the $50 a week. Yeah. I was making from, do, from doing uh, two TV shows in Fort Worth and a radio show which I is a miraculous, another miracle story how that happened. But that was just to work my way through school toward yeah. the career, career as a teacher. But then they gave me the collection, and I and I and on one Sunday, 
on the way out to Slidell, the 30 miles to preach, I said, honey, to Shirley, you know, this is better than a $20 sermon. This is a $30 oh sermon if I've ever heard one. Oh Just joking. <laughs> so I, I put in 10, and sure enough, I got back 30. Oh. Well, that sounds funny, but but I was tithing on $50 a week yeah. I was making for doing two TV shows and a radio show. I was that serious wow. about our commitment to the Lord because he was first in our lives. And then and continuing till now, all the things that have happened in my career have come about because, as you just said, I was wanting to let him use my life. Yeah. And if it was as a singer and an actor, great. TV host, great. As a preacher, that's fine too. Teacher of English <laughs> in, a high, in a college or high school somewhere, great. Whatever he wanted, however he wanted to use me. So he just kept giving me bigger and bigger opportunities. And I won't say I batted a thousand because I've made plenty of mistakes and passed up some things maybe I should have done mm-hmm. that were given opportunities. But for various reasons, I would pass on something that turned out to be a huge success for somebody else. But but the percentage has been a remarkable in that that because I really he knows my heart he knows I've wanted him to use me as a pop even rock and roll yeah. people say you think he gave you tutti frutti wop bop a loom up a lop bop bop or long tall Sally or uh, 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 ain't that a shame you made bop bop me cry and you know ain't that a shame you think God gave you those yeah yeah. Because he he uses, the Bible says, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Yeah. Those who think that they've got it all figured out don't. <laughs> well, here's what I think, though, is like you were one of the first people who actually said, I think, and I don't know how you originally said it, but I know like that God, you were at the table with God. To, mm-hmm. You know, God does this too. And yeah. most people thought of music or entertainment as, the Antichrist or the wrong yeah. thing, yet they were participating with it. The average household in Christian, mm-hmm. or, you know, Christian household still watched hours a day or listened yeah. to hours a day of radio. And especially when you were the doing kids. It. Yeah. And, and here you came to the table and said, well, what about the second commandment? Like love each other. Like we have to teach that too. And that entertainment does that the best. And you're getting songs like Tutti Frutti. You're getting these amazing mm-hmm. songs. And, and I'm loving the original artists, the, the black artists. Yeah. Who, Tell that story. This well, is an his, amazing story. His, you know, like, like Little Richard's Tutti Fruity, sometimes his answers about how he felt when I did his songs really depended on the attitude of the questioner. Sure. Were you upset when Pat Boone did your songs? Well, the first time he was asked that was on a black radio station, and I had done Tutti Fruity and had a million-seller hit with his song. And and his record was not getting played on, on pop radio at all at that point, nor mm. was Fats Domino's Ain't That a Shame. This was called race music. It was black music. It was R&B, rhythm and blues, and, and pop music. They were still playing How Much Is That Doggy in the Window and Tennessee Waltz and On the Street yeah. Where You, you know, pop songs. And here I was coming singing rock and roll out of Nashville, rhythm and blues. And so Little Richard was asked by the DJ, how did you feel when Pat Boone did your song, Tutti Fruity? And Little Richard says on the tape, when I heard Pat Boone had done my song, I was still washing dishes in a bus station in Macon, Georgia. And when I heard Pat Boone did my record, I threw it down, the towel down, and walked out. I was going to make some money now. <laughs> because he said I was, my record was on the radio, but I wasn't getting no money. 
Yeah. But when Pat Boone did my song, I knew I was going to make some money now. Wow. Same with Fats Domino and the other artists. When when pop, mainly white, sometimes black artists too, who are considered pop artists, did their rhythm and blues songs on pop radio. And that was the birth of what we now call rock and roll. Yeah. I hate to admit it, but I and Elvis were were um, midwives at the birth of rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> because well, it was you had your show then. and you were the only person that would sing African American people's songs. I was singing. On a mainstream yeah, I just about was the show. only one. And, and having them on the show with me too. Which was hugely controversial it, to some of America. Well, it was it almost cost me the show. In How fact, come? I, well, Chevy, I was sponsored by Chevrolet, yeah. and they had dealers all over the country, including the Deep South. And I have, you know, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I was raised in Nashville. I know the whole scene of prejudice, and my yeah. family was not victim to that. Mom and Daddy weren't, and I wasn't, and my brother and sisters. But I was now loving having Little Richard and Fats on the show with me and singing their hits, and yeah. and we were friends. And then I had Johnny Mathis and, and Sammy Davis and Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald amazing. and all these other great I'm like so jealousy right now. <laughs> I was thrilled. It was amazing. So now Harry Belafonte, the biggest artist in the world. Yeah. Deo, Banana Boat Song, oh, yeah. Jamaican Farewell. He was the biggest entertainer. He called me out of the blue. I hadn't met him at the office. And he says, uh, I like the way you treat your guests. Wow. He said, uh, would you like me to come on your show and sing with you? And I said, oh, boy, would I? And and I and I was so excited. That's how old were you at this time? 23. Wow. I was And I was still in college at Columbia University. Oh. I was still in school. I graduated at 23, soon after that at 23, magna cum laude. Wow. At, at Columbia, still thinking I was going to be a school teacher. Oh, my gosh. Why are you doing the show? I'm doing the tele television show. I've had hit records. I've got hit movies. So funny. But I'm still thinking that's just a, a fluke. It's not going to last. I'm going to wind yeah. up being a teacher. So Harry calls me. I, I'd like to come on your show. I have our production meeting with Chevrolet, ABC, the ad agency. And and I say, you're not going to believe this. Harry Belafonte wants to come on the show and we'll do we'll sing together. And they look at me with these stony looks. I said, what's what's the matter? Well, we can't, we're going to have to tell him, no, we can't do that. Why? Hmm. And he said, well, because, you know, he's he's hugely popular, yes, but he's also taking these strong civil rights positions and make, saying things that are controversial. And, wow. And, uh, and Chevrolet's already having trouble with their dealers in the South. People that have been driving Chevys for decades come in and say, you know, I like that Boone kid. And, uh, like your show and like his singing, but uh, he has all those black folks in there all the time. Wow. And they weren't saying black folks. And I know they're my relatives in Florida and yeah. the South. I know, but they're saying, so we may have to switch over to Ford if this keeps up, you know. And so Chevy now is feeling the pinch of that. So they're saying, we can't have Harry on the show. I was stunned. I mean, I got real quiet, went on to other items, and then I interrupted. I said, guys, <clears throat> I got to say something here. I said, this show is called the Pat Boone Chevy Showroom. Yeah. If I have to say no, if I have to call Harry Belafonte and make up some excuse for not having him on my show when he's willing to come on for nothing, biggest entertainer in the world, it's not the Pat Boone show. So I'm going to, I've enjoyed doing it, but I'm going to have to ask you to take some, take it, make somebody else the host of this show. Because I'm gonna, wow. I'm not gonna continue to do the show. 
And they now the stony looks are even worse. And they say, you're going to walk off your show? Because I said, guys, it's more than this show. It's a bigger thing than that. Yeah. And, and I know the problem. I'm just not going to be part of it. So they said, well, can, if we have him come on, can you guarantee there won't be any, you know, subtle or even overt political or racial statements? I said, I know Harry's a gentleman. I haven't met him yet, but I know that if he and I sing together on my show, that's enough of a statement, right? Yeah, just he and yeah. I singing together. That's the only statement yeah. that needs to be made. And that's all that will be made. And okay, so they agreed, but and I'd like to say it happened. I did the rest of that season, but then I quit doing the show, and we went to specials where I didn't think we would have that kind of problem yeah. from a half-hour weekly show. And Harry's schedule it was already full, and we'd already booked other guests, so we didn't. I'd like to say it sure. happened. No, but then just navigating that way as a 23-year-old, when something was on the table of America that was so volatile. Yeah. And the fact that you made that choice and the fact that you and Shirley just made a lot of choices like that over the years. Yeah, we were. I mean, it's kind of, you've been navigating with God and your conscience this whole time. Yeah, it was, that was, you know, I was leading singing in church every Sunday. I was always in church service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, teaching Sunday school sometimes. I mean, I had this, here's this picture of, of Debbie yeah. and me on my Wait, shoulder. Let, let me show this picture. I mean, this is me. This and, is, they had their four kids. You guys yeah. had four in a row. Yeah. And so here in we have three this and picture. three and a half years, we had four kids. When I graduated <laughs> from college, Sean, at, I graduated 23. So I'm on the cover of TV Guide in my cap and gown. I'm graduating magna cum laude with honors. Um, you open up the TV Guide, and there's pictures of Shirley and my four little girls. Yeah. I've got the TV show, the records, the movies, graduated from college, and I'm 23. Wow. Four little kids. It was maddeningly busy, but but thrilling, too. I, I learned to get by on four or five hours sleep and because it was all excitement all yeah. the time. And God had given me a great constitution, a very healthy, and, and just the excitement of it all gave me plenty of energy to do whatever opportunity came up and they were all coming up all the time so it and it's really hasn't let up a lot no. <laughs> i mean as long as i've known you which is only about i think 10 years now yeah you've never slowed down and you have uh, you're the energizer body you just have so much energy which has been amazing and and you know the things that have happened the, the opportunities that god continued to give me as an entertainer and yeah. you know when i could take positions on controversial issues and especially from with spiritual content and yeah. spiritual uh, parts of the issues like abortion or same-sex marriage or things like this i what i said didn't come from a quote preacher it came from a singer yeah a guy who's successful in show business <laughs> yeah it came from a different angle with a different kind of um, impact and it came with, I, I think what I, one of the things I've respected is that it came with a sincere love. Yeah. And I remember Shirley and you, one time I was over at your house and we were talking about some of the stories. I was like, tell me stories about 
things that God gave you opportunity for, because you were the only one present that I know of yeah. with certain people. Uh, Cause there's at that time, the A-list level was very, they had small worlds. They were very narrow worlds. They had a lot of people mm-hmm. work for them, but, and so with your peers, I remember Shirley talked about how you guys were called over to Rock Hudson's house to pray for him before yes. he passed. And yeah. he, and you'd known he lived a same sex kind yeah. of lifestyle. Yeah. And he knew we loved and, him. I loved yeah. Him. And you guys went over and were able to pray with him right before he passed away and just, Pray the salvation. Can I for, tell you a little bit about? Tell that? me, because Rock, you know, his real name was Roy Fitzgerald, and I always called him Rock. But I knew I've, I've always been fascinated with the real names of of some of the entertainers, yeah. like Engelbert Humperdinck's real name is Jerry Dorsey, and <laughs> so he adopted different. the name Engelbert Humperdinck, and that's another story. It was revealed that he had AIDS and actually was terminally ill. Everybody, because at that point, you know, nobody knew how it was communicated. Touch. Uh, if you drank after somebody, yeah. might you? You know, no. There was one main way it was it was communicated, and that was physically. But um, surely, my wife and a, a fr- friend learned that two nurses were Christians, and they were taking care of of Rock in his house up above us in Beverly Hills. And he, his uh, longtime friend Tom, was with him, and the nurses came to a Bible study in our home and they said, you know, we, we've prayed with, with Mr. Hudson and, and we shared the Lord with him and he's even, uh, received Jesus. Wow. And he was in his last stages. I mean, he was emaciated. So Shirley asked the nurses, can we come up and pray for him? Wow. And, and they asked Tom, his friend and said, of course, come up. And we went up one night and we, we prayed with this skeleton of a man who mm. didn't look anything like Rock Hudson in the movies, his hollow eyes and ribs showing through. And, and you know, as a, a guy, an elder in our church, the Bible says, if any of you sick, call for the elders, let them yeah. anoint him with oil, yeah. pray over him, and the prayer of faith will, will raise him up. And so so uh, we went up to see him, and he... He couldn't speak anymore. His throat was so ravaged. He couldn't. Wow. All the, but he, his eyes, hollow, black shaded, but but bright eyed. And he let us know with his countenance, I'm glad to see you. Thank you for coming. And we talked to him a little bit. And I said, Rock, I think I called him Rock. Told him what the scripture said. Do you mind if I pray for you? Can I anoint you with oil? Wow. And pray for you? And he was nodding his head. And he pulled his shirt open and ribs showing through his skin. And, you know, you don't know how it's contaminated, but I'm anointing him with oil. Yeah. So I made the sign of the cross on his chest and we prayed and that God would raise him up and heal him. His, and, and he looked at us with tears in his eyes and Tom came in. He said, Roy, he called him Roy. He said, you look better. Something's happening to you, Roy. Tomorrow's going to be a good day. Wow. Tomorrow's going to be a great, I'm, I'm going to put on your happy clothes tomorrow. And he's nodding. So we come home thinking, you know, we're expecting to get the word. Yeah. It's been a miraculous recovery. Instead, we get a call the next morning. He's passed. Wow. And so Shirley and the woman that she'd gone up with, and I couldn't go right then, but they went right up to Rock's house and, and the ambulance was there and they were still making arrangements and Tom was there crying and, and surely just, they didn't ask anybody, went in the room and and he was still in his bed and the shutters were open and the sun was coming in. And Tom came in and 
what first they surely they put their hands on his feet and started praying him back to life. They <laughs> were awesome. trying to raise him up right then. <laughs> sure. And people would, would consider that crazy, yeah. but that's how earnest yeah. Shirley and the woman and we were. We expected to see him raised. But then Tom came in and he said, I put his happy clothes on him, these colorful clothes. And I opened the shutter early this morning to let the sunlight in. And this is a good day. Wow. He is healed. He's with Physically. Jesus. I mean, spiritually. Yeah. He's gone. He's left this body. It's too ravaged. But we believe he's yeah. waiting for us in heaven. And where other people were afraid to even come visit him, his yeah. good friends, I mean, yeah. they might catch it, you know. Yeah. We came and I anointed him on his bare chest with oil and we prayed. And the next morning he slipped away to heaven. Wow. Now, we never talked about it. In fact, I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly yeah. just with you, but I'm not bashful of talking about the ways that God will use any of us yeah. in whatever ways we're willing to be used, and he wants to use us. And so whenever the opportunities have happened, we just try to, to but do it. One of the reasons I'm excited you shared that is because – I'm thinking of the young man who was milk of the cow, you know, mm. and how God knew you with Shirley and your family, what you would represent as a root that goes in a righteous root that goes into a system that hadn't seen many Christians who love people. Like you're yeah. going to a, a household when AIDS, like you said, they didn't know it was sexually yeah. transmitted. You're, you're going in into a danger zone, so to speak. Yeah. He may not have had any visitors, even family yeah. for a long time other right. than Tom. Yeah. Cause that, so, you didn't know how it might be communicated to yeah. you, you know, how you might catch it. But I think how beautiful it is that if we will go into these industries that God's called us to, and now you've, you're, Jesus you're, put his hands you're the, the grandfather of it all. You're the one who's like said, yeah. we've been here all along. It's okay. Like, I feel like you being where you're at, it doesn't mean that it's not e or that it's easy, but but it's okay, which I think is really strong to communicate because God God came first as a creator. And a lot of times, like before I met you, I remember just thinking, I want to see, Lord, a generation of Pat and Shirley Boone's rise up. And then we met, I think that same year, like you guys mm. came up to me in a prayer meeting. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's you guys. <laughs> Hi. And Shirley's like, I've been wanting to meet you. I'm like, why? <laughs> or maybe you thought well, it was a clone. <laughs> exactly. I was like, how is this happening? <laughs> Let's go backwards a little bit because you did raise your family in the entertainment industry and yep. you raised them as Christians. And yep. your four girls were even on your show with you that yeah. you guys did. I think you had over 100 episodes of that show and it was like the number one show. It was 130 shows. 130 shows. Well, now they weren't on all the shows. They they were little little yeah. babies. They were little little kids. They were on our last show. We sang together. Shirley danced and with me, and and I I'm not a dancer, but you yeah. know I'm a choreographer. You did great. It was a variety show. So you yeah, did a variety lot of stuff. show. And Shirley was very good. And then the girls and I we sang. Um, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the song, but anyway, they sang it with me. And then we moved to California. So wow. that was our last show, the last Chevy show. Okay. It was only, I guess five or six shows after I had to turn Harry Belafonte down. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I quit doing the series and we went to specials after that, but it was Shirley's wise counsel that we moved to California where we could do, I could do TV records, movies all from one place and the girls could be in school yeah. and there could be some continuity yeah. in their lives instead of us jumping all over the place. And so that was wise, and that's when we bought the house where we've been living for 58 years. Yeah, and I remember Shirley had told me, um, I had asked her, I said, because your your dad was such a famous musician, and, and 
when Pat's career started taking off, were you happy about that? Or were you like, Oh no, it's going to happen again. And she said, I could feel the call of God. Yep. She said, I knew the call of God on Pat's life and I knew we were going to do it. And God gave me the grace cause I didn't want it. Yeah. But she said, I was so grateful for it when it came. Yeah. That's surely that's, I mean, if yeah. I can, I guess you got yeah. this, but let me just, that's surely that's her. That's what was in her memorial. That's her eagerness. That's the way she looks at God. Mm. That's the way she looked at people. What can I do for you? What's best? What can? How can I help yeah. you? That's Shirley. And I was blessed to be married to her for 60, 65 years. And uh, now she's in heaven waiting for me. And I know she looks like that or even better. Yeah. A guy, I know you have prophetic visions. And uh, a guy named Maurice Sklar, you probably yeah, know Maurice. I know Maurice. I was talking to him on the phone after uh, Shirley had gone to heaven and uh, getting ready for the memorial service, which he played beautiful violin. Yeah, he did a great job. And he stopped in the conversation on the phone. He said, Pat, wait a minute. I'm having a vision. I can see Shirley right now. I can see her. She's she's in heaven. She's in a field. It looks like a field of flowers. She's mm. young. She's got a flowing robe on. There's flowers in her hair. She's happy. She's dancing singing she's surrounded by children <clears throat> and he said she you can rest assured pat she is in god in, in heaven with god and with jesus well i knew she was but but knowing that he actually was seeing and picturing yeah. her there with real prophetic vision mm-hmm. uh you know i told the story at the memorial service about the about the uh, chair, the acorn chairlift. Yeah. <laughs> now people will see some folks watching right now say, you know, all this religious stuff, this guy's a wacko. This guy's a nut. No, well, I think we have a pretty good audience for <laughs> who this is for. <laughs> I think they're going to love this story. <laughs> <laughs> but we got the acorn chairlift because Shirley reached the place in her weakness and the physical problems, heart failure and so on that she couldn't go up the stairs. We couldn't sleep together unless we had the acorn chairlift. Yeah went up the stairs and she could get in bed with me and then bring her down in the morning and put her on her recliner chair, mm. eventually on a hospital bed in our den. But uh, sh- surely it was great for us while we could use it. It hadn't been used for months. It's still there at the bottom of the, of the stairs. So now we're planning for the mo- memorial service and the four girls, our daughters, were going to sing uh, in the memorial service, uh, Make Me an Instrument of Your yeah. Peace. And Shirley had taught them to sing to begin with and taught them harmony and loved it. And she'd do, go anywhere, do anything to hear her girls sing again. Mm. So now they're going upstairs. We had other family in the den. And it's the next day will be the memorial service. So they're going upstairs to, to practice the song. And we hear this yelling coming from the front entrance where the stairs are. And we go running, what's happened? What? They said, we went upstairs to, to practice and the chairlift came up by itself up the stairs. <laughs> and it's impossible. It's so awesome. It can't do that mechanically. And 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 it came up and all we could think of was Shirley wants to be close while yeah, just like a sign. She can hear the girls sing. And people would say, Well, she could have done it without the chairlift. Well, yeah, but maybe she and the Lord wanted to know that she was there because that chair, first you have to turn a key, nobody did. Yeah. 
then you have to sit in it. There has to be weight in it or it won't go. Then once you're in it, you lower the arms and you push the yeah, lever very, to go up or down. medical, yeah. So the thing went upstairs by itself to the top of the stairs. So we just took it that Shirley wanted to hear the girls sing, and she was pleased with what they were going to sing, and it was a thrill. It, it went great, the memorial service. I came home. I waited a couple of days to check the chair to see if it's still working like it's supposed to work. It is. I mean, I sat in it, didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I had to turn it on. I had to press the key to go down the chairlift, and I, it's now at the bottom of the stairs yeah. where it always was. But it can't do that by itself. Yeah. So I told the audience, the big crowd at our memorial service, you were there. Folks, that was not natural. Yeah. That was supernatural. Well, if enough things like that happen in your life, and they should. Yeah. I once wrote a book called A Miracle a Day mm. Keeps the Devil Away. <laughs> I love it. And, and I wrote 31 miraculous things that had happened in our lives or to such close friends we knew they were true. Financial, physical, spiritual, all kinds of things. Little things, big things, some very big things. 31 miracles. So if you read those, and I define miracle as the touch of God in your life. If if he puts his finger into your existence, into your life, and does something that would not have happened otherwise, call it a miracle. It is supernatural. Yeah. And start looking for those things. Shirley would always... Ask God to help her find a parking space, which many people do. And she always. She always do. I do because of her. Space. My wife still goes, yeah. you have faith for parking. Little things. I was like, there's Shirley Boone. Little you don't understand. Mama Shirley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me just say this before we stop the segment. Um, I think it's interesting all the years and all the ways that you believed for God to move in a powerful way in Hollywood. And Shirley herself prayed for, I mean, was it over 50 years or 60 years for God to move in the entertainment industry? Oh, oh, for the whole, our whole lives. Your whole lives. 50 years, at least Just 50 believing. Years, and yeah. I remember one of the reasons why. Because we, we were in it. So yeah. we wanted to be like salt and light, you know, just for whatever way God could use yeah. us. And look, don't get the idea. I don't love singing rock and roll. I do. Yeah. I've sung heavy metal as well as just straight <laughs> rhythm and blues rock and roll. I love Tutti Fruity, Long Tall Saturday. Ain't that a shame? Love making movies. I love performing. You know, I love being an entertainer. I love being a singer. That's all great, and I thank God for the privileges yeah. of, of able being able to do it. Even to this day, I'm still recording. I'm just a recording nut, but but it's all for a reason. I mean, I, unless God's using it for His purposes, what's it for? Yeah, just to make me feel good, uh, to let me live in a nice house, have all kinds of blessings. No, unless it has a greater meaning than yeah. that. You know, I it's like that song. Is that all there is? Yeah. People who have everything in the world and it's not enough, because there's a that void in us that that's that wants God in it. Yeah. And unless so you guys that, prayed, and especially Shirley prayed for revival or for God's spirit to hit people in yeah. the entertainment industry and through the entertainment industry, and it was interesting because the last time I had talked to Shirley in a long conversation. She was talking about how she said, I'm, this is the first time I have full hope because all these years we were very alone. There was other wonderful Christians, but it wasn't like there is now, like where there's so many Christians who understand yeah. Yeah. that this fear is one that we're actually supposed to have occupation in, that we're supposed mm -hmm. to, you know. And she talked about how proud she was of you being, just being faithful because you did ministry and you did entertainment your yeah. whole life. 
you've, that's what you've done is you've done ministry entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, I, I'm excited because I remember where I was just thinking about how the things that she prayed for, she lived to see the beginning of. Yeah. She really did. She, and she, yeah. now she's cheering it on for the cloud of witnesses. And the last thing I want to just bring up is you had an encounter and you actually read something that you felt like Shirley was saying to us at the memorial. Oh yeah. And that was really profound that you felt like you, ha- you, you heard something from dictation. heaven. Yeah. I felt like I took dictation. I didn't, didn't bring it. It's in my other Bible. This is my one year Bible that I read for 35 years straight through from beginning to end. And, yeah. And, you know, highlight and make notes and stuff. But the, I took dictation once in the, after she'd gone to heaven and, and just reading my Bible and talking to the Lord and, and, and talking to Shirley, because even though I wasn't hearing her voice, I felt she's with him. Yeah. And if she's with him and I'm talking to him and, and if we draw near to him, he draw near us. Draws near to us, that maybe she's there, kind of nudging him. Saying, <laughs> you know she is. Yeah, listen, you know she is. Listen to what Pat's saying, and I yeah. and I said, "Honey, what you we're going to do this memorial service in L.A. and in Nashville? What do you want to say to the people that come to pay tribute to you and want to remember you? What do you want me to say to them?" And I got a pen and I started writing and. I'm not, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it basically I'm glad is, you don't because I'll just cry again. Uh, That's all I did was cry the first time. But I'll just give you the substance of it that don't weep for me. Yeah, which Don't we did. cry for me. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. My life on earth was blessed beyond measure. But where I am now, mm. I can't describe. I see God. He smiles at me. The face of Jesus is pure love. And the music, the air is sweet. Oh, I want you all here with me. Please, while you have time, while you still have time, seek the Lord, seek his son, seek the Holy Spirit, read his word. Every word of it is true. I know I'm here. It's true. And I want you here with me. I love you. I I just wrote that as I felt she was giving it to me. And then, of course, I, I read it. Uh, in the in the memorial services, I've never heard anybody do that. Here's a message from the one who we are paying tribute to, yeah. from where she is right now. This is her message, and of course, the thing that I sent out when the Associated Press asked for some statement, that I I, I said bulletin change of address. It's right here. I loved it. I surely, loved it. Surely, uh, Shirley Boone is not living in in the house in Beverly Hills now. She's moved to a mansion, an incredible mansion in heaven prepared for her and her husband by the one who said that where I am there, you may be also. And, um, and she loves you. And, and I do too, or something. I, I, I just said that, Oh, Oh, she's begun her eternal life. Yeah. So just change of address. That's all. She's not here now. She's there. Yeah. And to me now, these days, it's, um, it's what helps me endure the, the absence, the temporary absence mm-hmm. of her physical being, because we were so close for 65 years. Yeah. And that's just me and my little cocker spaniel, black little shadow is his name, me and my shadow. <laughs> oh. and, uh, and, and a housekeeper and who can also cook, thank God. <laughs> and, uh, and so we'll just keep going. And I think God's got some stuff he wants me to do still. Yes. You're not done yet. Pat. No, things still to be done. And then I'll join her and and we'll, I don't want to hear about that part, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to stop the segment, but we're going to be back with you in just a few minutes. Okay. 
Everyone needs someone to process their prophetic journey with them. And we have created a new online mentoring platform where you can grow at your own pace, where we help you to develop your own spiritual journey of hearing God's voice. I want to help be your mentor. We have videos, interactive webinars, over five new videos each week. They're going to advance you in your journey and authority. We have so many special opportunities in this platform that you don't want to miss it including all of our other e-courses coming for free when you subscribe. Come grow with me. Let me train you in your ability to hear from God and interpret what you hear and really bring applications so that your real life is affected by your spiritual faith. Go to bowlsministries.com and sign up under e-courses. So we're going to play a game. Okay. It's called Something Real and Something Fake. All things about you or your life or something connected to your life. This is not fake news. A little bit. <laughs> There's going to be one real, maybe, maybe. real fact or, of, of news about something related to I you and something I fake. I hope I remember. And you have to try and guess the real one. And there's no prize. So it's okay. It's There's no win or lose. It's just we're just trying to play this. So, just embarrassment. Just embarrassment. That's all. <laughs> so there, I read this article online and it was about, it was called Where Music Meets the Soul. And they were talking about Elvis and how you really made a humble reply. But they asked you, I once read, this is the person asking you. Uh, or saw a TV interview once that you were a rival to Elvis Presley and that the rivalry began because he wasn't happy he had it open for you and not vice versa. What really happened to cause this? And you said, I have no rivalry with Elvis or he with me. We were friends, but friendly competitors. He did open up for me at a sock hop one time in Cleveland in 1955, but that's because he was unknown at the time. And so you were really humble in your answer. But but here's two facts about Elvis, and you have to tell me which one is and true. And that's true, by the way, that story. That's amazing yeah, that yeah. he opened up for you, though, yeah. or that you opened up for him. No, no he, he opened, opened up for, you. for me. Yeah, yeah. and he... Because he wasn't known yet. He wasn't known in Cleveland, no, at all. So you got to tell me which one of these is true, because you will actually know. Number one, Elvis, famous for black hair. It was actually a sham. He had brown hair. Number two... Elvis ordered $10,000 worth of sandwiches to be flown in a month during his tours when he was in the height of his fame. Wow. True or false? Yeah, which uh, one I, of those is true I one think, of those is false? I think his hair was brown naturally. You're correct. Yeah. That, I mean, can you imagine? Like, why? Why would you go to black? It well, was such... because it looked more dramatic. And that's why he didn't do many pictures smiling. Oh, wow. Because uh, an actor once said, hey, don't take a lot of pictures smiling, looking like the Joe next door. Look serious, look wow. mean, look, you know. And, That's and part of his look. That's of part of his pictures stick. Almost had a sullen look, and he yeah. wasn't sullen himself. That's true. Almost but, like James Dean. Like yeah, he was trying to be like a James Dean. He wanted to literally look dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here's the second one. You ready? So you made headlines and scared many conservative Christians with your album, No More Mr. Nice Guy, a heavy metal cover album. Which of these is true? Pat Crouch of the TV and Empire secretly liked the album and played it every day on the way to work that year, telling Jan, this has helped me express something that I haven't had language for. Number two, your cover of Ozzy Osbourne's 1980 hit Crazy Train was used as the theme song for MTV's reality TV show, The Osbournes, which aired from 2002 to 2005. That's truth. Yes, it is. No, Isn't that wild? Yeah. Johnny Carson, though, did play my heavy metal album on ways to airports. He played air drums <laughs> and the limo driver... He'd, he'd give him the album, say, put this in your uh, player and turn it up loud, and he'd play air drums to my heavy metal album on the way to the airports or wherever he was going. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, but yeah, the uh, Ozzy did use my song, uh, Crazy, Hey, That's How It Goes, Millions of People. I can't remember da, 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 da. Anyway, that was his, his song. He used my version of his song <laughs> his as his show. theme song. And then he put out an album of his favorite 
uh, records by other people, and and he made my record of his song the number one. Wow! And and he, he even said at a talk part at the beginning, you know, people think Pat Boone's kind of a, a square, but you know, but. I, but I think he's a, a, a bleeping, bleeping nice guy. <laughs> and, and, he, and, he, and he liked what I did with his song. And so did Sharon. They both liked what I did with his song. That's awesome. His I knew song. you would know this one, but I had to ask it because it was just kind of a fun way to ask it. It would be really funny if the crowd just listened to it on the way to work. But no, here's our third question. And this is about your beautiful daughter, Debbie Boone, who I got to meet for the first time at the memorial. I love Debbie. Debbie Boone, your daughter, had many hit songs. One spent 10 weeks on the billboard as number one and was called You Light Up My Life. Which of these is true about that song? Mm -hmm. The first thing, Debbie's song was sung on the Muppets where it had a resurgence of fame and spent two more weeks in the top 100 billboard. But this time, Miss Piggy became the main singer. Or number two, during the decade that You Light Up My Life was in the top billboards as number one, it was the most popular wedding song. DJs were requested the song more than any other song by fathers, mothers, and daughters who wanted to use it to mark the occasion. That's the I actually I think they both may be true, but I know the last one is. The Muppets did sing the song. I don't or, know if it became a hit or not, but they did. Be, it yeah. was so funny. Like I was laughing, going, <laughs> Miss Piggy was Miss Piggy sang it. You lied about <laughs> totally with her voice. And then, but the second is true. For ten years, it was the number one wedding song, and it was so funny to read about this because uh, one of the DJs who was the most known Hollywood DJ, yeah. who did weddings for all the celebrities, said oh, yeah. I couldn't get away from the song, and I got mm -hmm. sick of it because <laughs> yeah. it was every weekend. Yeah, and you know that's amazing. One quickie about that about you know debbie had to take some stands in her life too. yeah she did and uh, while that record was such a big hit she too was they had a running thing in the rolling stone at last report debbie boone is still a virgin <laughs> i mean they, they found so it funny. ridiculous that she was having this huge hit record still living at home yeah she and and gabrielle ferrer who she eventually married were very serious but but she stayed at home with mom and daddy, yeah. and she was having this big, huge hit That's wild. performing in Las Vegas with me sometimes, and then later without me. And uh, and and they they just found it uh, uh, ironic, yeah. uh, crazy that this girl with this beautiful voice and huge hit record and big career going was still living a virginal life. That's but that wild. was the and she had to endure. I mean, the record yeah. company was embarrassed. Warner Isn't Brothers Records was embarrassed. See, again, pioneering. And it's yeah. just so beautiful because now we have so many people who are saturated in the entertainment industry, yeah. both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes that you guys were forerunners for. So mm -hmm. thank you. Okay. You are a massive entrepreneur. Not everybody knows that. And through the years, uh, you've had a TV station, a basketball team, food companies, many different types of projects. One time you even invested from what we heard into something that appeared on Shark Tank. Which of these projects is a real investment opportunity that you did not take that was proposed on Shark Tank? There's two of them. The first one is Shark Tank. It is not a place to ask for money to fund hypothetical companies, but Andrew, Adriana Montano asked the Sharks for 100000 for 15% of her company, Gato Cafe, a cafe where patrons would pay an admission fee to hang out with rescue cats while sipping in a latte. Or number two, Ryan Custer wanted 150000 for 30% of his company, Cougar Energy, dedicated to making energy drinks, shot bottles specifically tailored to single middle-aged women wanting to date young men like himself. I think the first is true. They both are true. I tricked you. Both true. <laughs> <laughs> Energy drinks for and cougars. And you knew that I made the biggest deal in the history. Of I did. I heard about this. Like I didn't know in what was history, true. It's, five that's crazy. Million for 50% of the first plant of the car that runs on compressed air. Oh, wow. Because you is, love automobiles anyways. I, I well, love automobiles. Yeah. But, but I became aware of this 
That's this, crazy. And, and the inventor, Guy Negre, Negre in France, uh, has 50-something patents in Formula One racing, and this is a real wow. thing. And I owned equity interest in the American rights, and I went on Shark Tank and made the deal, Robert Hershevik, uh, you know, a yeah. couple of them did yeah. put it down. They said, you know, come back because all I had was a pasteboard cutout to to show the. Although I had videotape of the car moving in traffic in, yeah. in France, and it was a real thing. He knew the the inventor had invented the titanium oh, wow. okay. cylinder, and so he said five million for fifty percent of the first plant to be built in Hawaii. It's not too much to invest in it, but he says I also want to meet with the inventor and talk about the whole American market. I yeah. said, we shook hands. I said, I know he'll meet with you and you'll have that opportunity. Walk out and, and you know, they've aired it four times, but ne but um, Hershevik went off to France with the dance instructor from Dancing with the Stars. He went on that after the season okay. ended on Shark Tank. We, you know, we made, shook hands, made the deal. He never called me. Oh, no. He has never given me the courtesy of a phone call. Oh, it's so he sad. He went off to France with the dance instructor and and uh, had somebody contact me say he didn't think it was what he thought it was. He never gave me a chance to even explain it or meet, oh. meet with the inventor who's since died of a stroke. Shark but, tank. Yeah. Shame on you. I got shark bit. <laughs> you got shark bit. That's uh, yeah. awesome. And, I'm sure many people did, though, because I mean, they do hundreds of it's the same five yeah. or six investors i'm sure many times that's the story because it could be i, mean, I, I it's not obviously a legal binding contract when they shake your hand but you so know probably, I, I bumped into hershevik recently oh, and really? i don't mind saying this publicly because i did not bad mouth him yeah or talk about it i was interviewed by uh, uh, requested interviews from investor business daily and all these yeah a uh, big uh finance how's it coming the air car you and robert hershevik the biggest deal in the history of shark tank and I, I said, well, so far I haven't heard from him, and I didn't want to keep put, you know, putting him yeah. down publicly. So I just let it slide. Now, recently at a restaurant close to our office, he was just walking out of the restaurant when I walked in, and I stopped him on the sidewalk. I said, Robert, Pat Boone, you never called me from the deal with me. Oh, yeah, that was years ago. It was two years ago, Robert, and we shook hands. Oh, wow. The biggest deal in the history You're of like Shark Tank. It's aired four times. Well, that was then. I'm not interested now. I said, you mean, and he starts to walk. I said, you mean we shook hands, we made a deal, and you just drop it? You don't even want to talk about it? No, I didn't want to talk about it. Wow. So as he walks away, I said, well, you've told me everything I need to know about you. Yeah. Goodbye. You don't want to be in business with something no. like that. Oh, God bless Robert. Oh, but, Lord but, Jesus. You know, that yeah. car is real. And, no, and I believe that it. that story's not over. I think it is going to be, mark my words, the future of air tra of transportation. It's already yeah. the driving cars in France. Tata Motors in India is manufacturing heavy metal. I mean, heavy, not metal, heavy machinery, <laughs> heavy machinery in France. Yeah. Garbage disposal gathering are using that, tech, that uh, technology. technology. Uh, so it's real. It's, it's highly compressed air. And, you know, it's extremely powerful. And it's just air. I love that. And there's no emission of anything except more air. You can use it again. And that's, that's going to be a, some of the future of transportation. See, entrepreneur right here. And not everybody knew you were an entrepreneur. So one more question. You starred in an exercise video in 1986 called Take Time, which was for people 50 even plus. The ladies on the show couldn't keep their eyes off of you. <laughs> <laughs> what was the worst celebrity workout tape in history, according to Rolling Stone magazine? Was it number one, Kim Kardashian, Fit in Your Jeans by Friday? 
Or number two, Snoop Dogg, get ripped for Rizzle. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say Snoop the worst. <laughs> he didn't make one. It was Kim Kardashian. Oh. Your jeans by Friday. It was voted the oh. worst in history, Yeah, but it was one of the top selling. <laughs> so well, it, so it wasn't to see the jeans. I guarantee no, that. Not. No. And, That's not why people look at Kim Kardashian. Done for, I did it because I did it for Shirley and for women who are such faithful, good wives and mamas and, and the yeah. husbands maybe work out in the gym and try to stay in shape. And the wives sometimes let themselves go because they're looking after the yeah, hand and the really kid. Hard, and yeah. yeah. And they're, and they, they don't watch what they eat. And they, you know, it, it's only fairly recently that housewives and women are, are working out in gyms and doing yeah. stuff. Generally they gain weight and then their husbands lose interest. Yeah. And so I did this, this very, easy exercise <laughs> tape for women to and, save uh, marriages. Yeah. 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 Really? No, I watched this video today and I was like going to have us practice the moves off of it, but I won't uh. put you through that. <laughs> well, thanks for being a part of the game. Uh, oh, I'm happy to do it. Hey, Exploring the Industry listeners, we have an incredible book that I just released just for you. My new book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations is out now. I wrote this book so that you would have a very specific tool to help you use words to define your own history and future with God. Throughout human history, we've seen prayer and the prophetic and declarations shape society, set culture, provide heritage, and bring vision for the future. And when you combine prayers, declarations, and prophecies like you encounter in this book, you become even more intentional about the power of words. Prophecies, prayers, and declarations are instrumental for us to enter our promised land. This book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations, will cover topics in finances, resources, family, influence, favor, business, and more. Through this book, I'm inviting you on the journey of learning how to use words to speak in the very fabric of your life, the spiritual realm, and the world around you. I pray that you'll find yourself using and reusing this book as you hear God speak to your heart. You can get our book anywhere books are sold, but if you get it at bullsministries.com and you pre-order it or post-order it, you're going to get a very exclusive teaching series. So I want to encourage you to get it there. Welcome back to Exploring the Industry. I'm your host, Sean Bowles, and I have with me Pat Boone. We're so excited about you being here. The blabbermouth himself. No, it's it's because you have so much, and I think, I hope I'm pulling out of you some good stories because there's so much I'm interested about that you're talking about. One of the things we were just talking about is um, just your opportunity with this album that was all these R&B hits and all yeah. these soul hits. And I think a lot of people who do entertainment, especially a longevity of career, there's so many opportunities and many are like home runs and then some mm -hmm. don't even get to first base yeah. that are really powerful. And this particular yeah. album was so amazing. And it's just was an issue of there wasn't the marketing team or there wasn't the, the right. support behind it. And I mean, what do you go through when you go through that level of work and you love something that much? It's really very frustrating. Of course, I sometimes feel guilty because it may seem like ego trips, you know, and I, I'm not really, certainly there's an element of what, wanting people to know what I can do, what I enjoy do, what I think I do well. Uh, but at the same time, if, if it has quality, I want people to know about it for its own yeah. sake. Well, and, you're a creator too. So you're creating yeah. something that you're, you're, you should be proud of it in the right healthy type yeah. of, you if know, I, if, you did, if I was a sculptor, yeah. And I and I did a great sculptor, and I thought, boy, this captures Sean Bowles perfectly. I want people to know about this, but nobody seemed interested, and nobody would help me get it anywhere. Uh, and even you didn't know about it. Well, yeah. in the case of the James Brown and the and the 
R&B classics that I did with Smokey Robinson. Smokey, when I did his Tears of a Clown, when he heard my record of it, we played <laughs> we played a horrible joke on him in the studio because the artists, we already did the tracks yeah. first. And and they were very much like their records, but but in a key that I could sing their songs in, which usually was their key. It, it usually was not much of a difference in the keys, so they could sing with me on their own records and their songs. Yeah. So I play, uh, we we told Smokey, we're going to play Tears of a Clown. Well, we purposely put some atrocious, botched up thing. Oh, no. <laughs> to a perfectionist <laughs> like Smokey Robinson. Him, yeah. Oh, no. And, and he's listening to this botched up, terrible thing oh, no. that, that I'm looking at him like, well, what do you think, Smokey? You ready to sing your part of this? And he's, <laughs> he's trying to think, how can I possibly get out of this? <laughs> oh, no. And um, the candid camera moment. Yeah, and and so then we let him know that this was not the real version that we oh, wanted to do. God. Then we played the real version, and his eyes lit up. He says, "Because we had a slight disco flavor yeah. to his tears of a clown, because it lent itself that song." And he says, "You know, I think I'm going to use your arrangement of that song in my shows from now on." Wow. I like I like the way you did this song. And then he sings it with me. Yeah. And and in each, each case, I'm singing these songs with the original performers. And I didn't tell you this. There is a song, my first and only rap song. Oh, my gosh. Because people say, well, when are you going to do rap? <laughs> well, I say, I did rap with Cool Modi, one of the one of the major rappers, most respected rappers ever, that my son-in-law, not son-in-law, my grandson, Ryan had told me about that, that some of these rappers do some worthy lyrics. They're yeah. not all about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love that Ryan brings this up to you. That's yeah. a perfect. <laughs> oh, and so, yeah. And he says, so this was back before he was hurt. And so he made me aware of Cool Modi. So wow. I thought, well, back uh, um, hip hop and rap is the language of kids today. What can I, what, can I write a song, come up with a song that speaks to them in their language about the three plagues that are that are decimating young people violence drugs and disease producing promiscuous sex yeah. these three plagues just ruining whole generations of of young people and the song i wrote is called backbone wow. have a little backbone you can do it have a little show a little backbone live through it tell the man you said no he can shove it make your mind up on your own you'll love it Take a stand and be strong. That's called backbone. Bum, 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 bum. And, and it's a song, and James Ingram's brother, Philip, sings it with me. Wow. Because it took two voices to do it. And then Kumo D bought into the idea of backbone being the message for kids that they ought to hear. You know, look out for yourself. Yeah. Do what's right for you, and don't just get swept along with the tide. So... There is a rap hip hop that's amazing song that I wrote called <laughs> and Backbone. you even just sang part of it, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna go backwards and forwards. So I'm gonna go back to um, when you were acting uh, a lot. When you were like you you were one of the biggest stars out there, mm -hmm. and you had to say no to some projects. Yeah. at times, which is one of the ones that I didn't know about. You told me today was with mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And she was known for being more at that time, really on the the, the fringe of sexuality. She well, was represented sexuality to the America, sex queen, but not yeah. not in a pornographic way. But you had this opportunity with her, and you had yeah. to say no. Yeah, I was. She was under contract to Twentieth, and so was I. A seven year deal. Elvis yeah. and I had had uh, both seven year contracts at Twentieth. 
we had dressing rooms separated only by the dressing room of a fairly well-known actor named Cary Grant. Oh my gosh, that's so wild. <laughs> it was and these were the days when they would contract an actor for yeah, seven for to ten six, years. five years. Whatever. And, and, and you would just do... A year or two films a year. Yeah. So I was under contract. I'd made several hit movies and uh, and ready to make more. And they wanted me to do a film with Marilyn Monroe. And and it was a, a story by a famous author, William Inge, and about a, a, a cabaret singer, because Marilyn could sing. Yeah. And she was playing this... Uh, sexy cabaret singer who is weary now of her career and she's come back to a town uh, in the Midwest and she's going to relax and take stock about where she wants to go from there. And this young kid falls in love with her. He's barely out of high school. And that was me. They wanted it to be me and they have an affair. And, uh, and then he wants to quit school and try to take care of her. And she knows that's not going to work. Yeah. And so she lets him down gently and leaves. It's and like an unrequited Breaks his heart, heart, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like they call that, uh, what is it, rite of passage or these films. Yeah. Where like, like everybody should go through this and have a little heartbreak and get over it. And it's okay. No harm. No harm. Yeah. Well, I said to the head of the studio, I can't do this. Yeah. What, this is going to be a big film. You and Marilyn Monroe together? I said, but this, I've got ten, millions of teenage fans, and this film indicates that it's no harm, no foul. I mean, he has an affair yeah. with Marilyn Monroe, her character, and uh, and she breaks his heart and she leaves, and he'll get over it. It's okay, but but he, he did have Marilyn Monroe. But you're also married and have kids yeah. at that time, where I don't think a lot of these other stars were as true. invested in their personal lives That's either. True, right. I mean, you wanted to protect Shirley as oh, well in your, your marriage. <laughs> Whereas Elvis didn't have no. the same, or Marilyn didn't have the same, like where they had this this investment at be home, faithful to exactly not embarrass her mate or his mate. And even though this yeah. is relatively probably tame compared to today's standards as yeah, far as what they were shown in the movie, yeah. And so I, I just think I what a huge decision. They, they said the buddy Adler, the head of the studio, he was apoplectic. He said, "You know, we can cut your contract. Yeah, we, yeah. we can end your contract and." not like blackball you yeah blacklist you know blacklist yeah. you know and and the tv studios so he threatened you and and move and movie companies will cooperate with you. if you're going to not do obey our contract you and not make a movie for these dumb reasons that you just don't want to make a movie with marilyn monroe i'd like to have made a movie with marilyn monroe but yeah. not that story they by the way they did do the story with uh, joanne woodward and richard beamer and it was a total bomb yeah. Meanwhile, I I think I told you I wound up doing Journey to the Center of the Earth, which, which I laughed because you weren't that invested in doing that. I, I actually love that movie yeah. still to this day. And like I, I watched it when too. I was little and watched it over and but over. Then and over. I didn't want to do a science fiction film. I wanted okay. to be. I was thinking of myself as a young Bing Crosby. Yeah. And I wanted to do musical romance. That's yeah. it. You know, uh, because that fit in Who with wouldn't? my record career. I mean, career. Bing Crosby yeah. is so amazing. Yeah. And they wanted me to do science fiction. Well, they talked me into it. And one of the ways they induced me or my management was to give me a piece of the film if it ever made money. Wow. Which it turned out it did. I, <laughs> I, did not, I didn't think it would because I knew something about the accounting procedures of yeah. film studios, how they just never seemed to make any money, even from a big hit, because of all their expenses, supposedly. Yeah. So I didn't think anything of that. That was not an inducement for me. But my management did put that into it. If Pat didn't want to do this, so you give him a piece of the film if it yeah. reaches a certain level. And they were having a hard time, did. too, because the oh, studio was almost tanking. I found out later 
an executive of 20th Century Fox said, you didn't, didn't know this, but that film saved the studio. Wow. Because it was about to go bankrupt under Cleopatra, Richard yeah. Burton, and Elizabeth Taylor. And they were being so irresponsible at the time, you know, running off to Spain for a week to pursue their romance and leaving thousands of extras waiting around in Rome. Wow. And the budget was going sky high and, and the bankers were getting fed up and they were going to foreclose and shut 20th Century Fox down. And the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth came out and went, it went wow. sky high. And the executive told me later that saved our studio, that film, which... I didn't want to do. I did do it just to placate. But them. but let's connect the dots though, because you said no to something and yeah. it almost cost your career yeah. as an actor. Yeah. Then because you said no to that, they got you involved with this movie is more family friendly. And yeah. it ended up becoming lucrative for you and saved the and company. Saved the studio. And I just love how that with God, like when you just stay true. Yeah. Like yeah. how even if it's not what you would choose, he's he brings a different I mean, our, our process as a Christian I don't think is ever our we don't direct it. You know, like yeah. we're, we're saying, Holy Spirit, come direct me. In the entertainment industry, you have to say no a lot. We're called because no one will protect your values for you. Tough decisions, and we know that they theoretically could end our career. Yeah, and it has. It has cost me because I was up for movies like Sand Pebbles, which eventually Steve McQueen did. Yeah, but I was proposed for the light, the role of the lieutenant, which I'd have been great for. I played a played a lieutenant in the Navy in Mardi Gras. No, not Mardi Gras. All Hands on Deck with yeah. Barbara Eden. But the producer, director, Robert Wise, Wise, response when I was proposed for the film, for that part, said, no, we want an actor, not a singer. Oh, wow. Well, I'd already proven that I could act, and, I, and, and Journey to the Center of the Earth had been a huge success. But, and I even had to do a Scottish accent. You know? <laughs> had to learn a Scottish accent to play Alexander McEwen. So, you know, I, I had I the, forgot about that. the so intellect. I, I, could play, yeah. I could play a, a young lieutenant. In the Sand Pebbles, it would it was a big hit movie, yeah. but but I was rejected because of my image, and and I lived with that for my whole career because my image, yeah, in some people's minds was, you know, just goody two shoes. Let's talk about Rolling religious. Stone. I love this this story when Rolling Stone because it's exactly that story. It's like yeah. Rolling Stone comes out and they're really trying to do an expose. They're trying to figure yeah. out what's wrong with you. Yeah. Because they want to, they hate your image, basically. People hate your image or they love your image. Those well, are the two. There's no in between. There's not like a little gray area. I won't say they hated me at the at the beginning. They they suspected. They, okay. It was not something that would generally wind up getting a guy like me on the cover of the Rolling Stone, yeah. which it did. The only time I've been on the cover of the Rolling Stone. <laughs> but... Um, for a country uh, album, yeah, country which I album love. On Motown, <laughs> so Motown weird. went into country. I love it. Got me to do some country songs, and a, and a rodeo cowboy named Ray Ruff produced the wow. music. And one was a big hit called Texas Woman, which yeah. went right up the charts on Motown country. And that really persuaded Jan Winter at Rolling Stone. We ought to do a story on this guy because he had had all these rock and roll hits. He's done movie hits. He's done movies and all these things. And published books. And published books. And he's this holy oh. Joe religious guy. But let's go down. Let's have a writer go down and turn over the rocks and see what crawls out. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get under. Let's find out what the real Pat Boone when nobody's looking is like. Yeah. So this guy, John Anderson, came down and, and he had carte blanche and he he could come to our house when if we had a Bible study. I think we had a couple of baptisms in our swimming pool. And he was there. And then we went down to the vineyard 
to a church service there once, and he went with us. And so he was going where we went and did what we do. do. But then he was also, he told me later, interviewing people on college campuses all over, people in the industry, mm-hmm. asking, what's your opinion of Pat Boone? What do you think of Pat Boone? So he told me this, and he said, you know, I come up, there's only two answers that always come up. Either, oh, I like him, he's a nice guy, I like his music, yeah, fine, a good family, yeah. and stuff like this. Or, I can't stand him, he makes me sick. Makes me sick. Yeah. And he says, are you familiar? I said, that's the story of my career. I know it's not my music. The music yeah. has been hits. I've sold millions and millions of records. The movies have been hits. It's my lifestyle. And I'm not yeah. trying to rub anybody's nose in what I believe. I share it. And I'm happy to let people know where I stand on things. But I, yeah. I respect other people's opinions and other people's theologic, theological views, whatever they may be. But I feel free to say what I believe, but it it turns people off. Yeah. And so that's what I said to John Anderson, that, uh, that yes, I am very familiar with the fact that my image, I don't think it's my music, my image makes a lot of people nauseous. They don't yeah. want anything to do with me, including Rolling Stone. However, they put me on the cover. Jan Winter did an ed- editorial at the beginning. He said, okay, have a good laugh. What's Pat Boone doing on the cover of our magazine? Well... We sent somebody down, turn over the rocks, and he comes back and says, you know, like it or not, what you see is what you get. Pat Boone is that person that he presents himself to be. And so we tip our hat because he said, looking back over the last 25 years, we don't see many things that have stayed consistent. Like him or not, Pat Boone has stayed consistent. So it was a nice enough story, particularly with that little editorial. So I sent to the Rolling Stone offices in San Francisco at that time, arranged for 50 cartons of milk to be sent to the Rolling oh Stone gosh, office, awesome. thanking them for the <laughs> cover story. And I get oh, the thing back, the note back from Jan Winter saying, you know, we all raised our cartons of milk, saying, here's to a nice guy. That's and so awesome. they drank the milk that I sent them at the offices of the Rolling Stone. <laughs> that's like the perfect response. So, so, <laughs> and so it's that part of you that's charming and witty. And I, I was talking to somebody at the memorial service, Shirley's yeah. service, and, and he was a Jewish man. I can't remember his name. You would obviously know Tom him. Tom Tamarkin, I'll bet. And uh, I, maybe. He's a scientist. Yes. And so he came over and he was talking about how one of the things he loved about you and Shirley is that the consistency of your life and that he had got to see that because mm-hmm. he was – he was really like not into the Christian no, thing. No, he's orthodox. And so he's Jewish. like, you know, but I've just watched them. And through the years, they proved to me that their relationship with God is different than a lot of people's religious experience. Yeah. And it caused me to actually buy in, so to speak, because he watched you. Yeah, he your respects kids, your it. And, and we talk and he says he prays for us. And I know he does. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up quickly because... Uh, Tom Tamarkin is his name, and, and he's a wonderful scientist and a good friend. And he was at that, he came down from Sacramento. He broke okay. his own Sabbath yeah. to journey down and be at our memorial service. And he called, he couldn't get to me afterwards. It's too big a crowd. So uh, he told me the next day, he texted me, he said, I call for an Uber to come take me back to the airport. And I get this message on my phone Your car will be there in three minutes. Your driver's name is Jesus. <laughs> And he said, sure enough, an Escalade rolls up out in front of the church on the way. 
window goes down and the driver says, you call for a new Uber? He said, yes. Tom said, yes, I'm your driver, Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> he takes perfect. him to the airport. That's perfect. And I said, Tom, what that says to me is God wants to be as involved in your life as he is in ours. Wow. And now, now the rabbi who, who, who interviewed a guy on TV, Carl Gallops, who wrote a book called The Rabbi Who Met Who Found Messiah, Rabbi Kaduri in Israel, the yeah. chief rabbi. Yeah. And he said the Messiah has appeared to me. He's 106 years old. Wow. Messiah has appeared to me, told me his name. I've written it down and I've written and I sealed it, and I don't want it open till a year after I'm gone. Oh wow. They opened and I was telling Prime Minister Netanyahu about this recently in his office. Wow. I said, did you know about Rabbi Kaduri and this controversy? And he said, he seemed puzzled. I said, the 106-year-old rabbi, oh, Kabbalah, yes, oh, yeah. yes, that that rabbi, most respected, top rabbi. And he said, what's the controversy? I said, he, he said he had seen Messiah, and the Messiah had told him his name, and he revealed it in this, and it was opened just recently, and, and there it is, and, and, and Netanyahu was looking at me, well, what is Messiah's name according to Rabbi Kaduri? Yehoshua. And and under his breath almost, Netanyahu said, Jesus. Wow. Yes. The chief rabbi in Israel has said Messiah's (laughs) name is Yehoshua, which is in Hebrew, Jehovah is salvation. Yeah. Yeshua, which is what's translated Jesus, is Hebrew for salvation. Yeah. So Jesus' name is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Wow. And 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 that's his name throughout the old the Old Testament. Everywhere the word salvation yeah. is is translated translation in English. The Hebrew word is Yeshua. Wow. So Jesus' name is through the whole Old Testament. Every time the word salvation. Yeah. And your friend as Tom. Met Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I took him to the airport. <laughs> well, let, me, let me go to one more place before we have to end, which is uh, you made a heavy metal album, which is like you, I, it's just so funny because it was so controversial for no reason. But I understand you had a lot of extremely conservative fans. And so when you came out with the album, it was yeah. so fun to watch the ride because all of a sudden you're like, who who got you? I was the outfit. Off television. I mean, oh, the outfit that you wore, the leather outfit Dick with Clark the fake earrings the and show. stuff. Oh, so Dick Clark. He produced got you the involved. American Music Awards okay. and he got Bill Ballou, who did Elvis's costumes, to make me a, a heavy metal outfit. Yeah. Just a leather vest with no arms, no chest, open down to the navel. <laughs> we'll show open. it. We'll show it. So, people and so see I've it. got tattoos on my pecs and my arms and <laughs> collar and boots and the whole shot. What did Shirley shape. think when she saw you? She was horrified. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to do it. She That's was watching awesome. the show That's live so and saw me walk out and do that. She didn't know I was going to do that. I didn't tell her. I knew she would be, <laughs> she would be so nervous about yeah. it. And I didn't know how it was going to go. But yeah. Dick Clark had proposed that Alice Cooper and I give the award for hard rock heavy metal because he had heard the album of heavy yeah. metal classics that I had recorded with big band jazz arrangements. Yeah, it was really I'd fun. gone over every lyric with a fine tooth comb, nothing wrong with any of it. I even let some of the TV ministers know that I had done a heavy yeah. metal. Don't worry about it. No, nothing wrong with the lyrics. But uh, I went on and it created such a furor because... Uh, Alice Cooper, I call him Coop. Uh, his real name is Vince. Oh, wow. Vince Fournier, his son of a minister. I remember but, that, yeah. But but I call him Coop, and he's backed out at the last minute while we're at the Shrine Auditorium. 
the show is on. And he and I, he's going to walk out in a V-neck sweater and with a glass of milk and his long hair pulled back under a golf cap wearing white buck shoes. <laughs> and I'm going to walk out as this heavy metal apparition. Yeah. And that was Dick's, you know, just playing, making fun of the sure. fact of the truth that the next day my album of heavy metal classics was coming out and he thought it was going to be a big hit. And we wound up get well, first, Cooper says it before, 30 minutes before we were to go on. He says, you know, I'm not going to do it. I, I just don't feel right about putting on white buck shoes, walking out with a glass of milk. He said, that's just not, and that, of course it wasn't him. That was the point. Yeah. The idea was we're swapping images. Yeah. Well, it's not going to make any sense if he doesn't do his part. Yeah. And his line is when he introduced me was, was to be and and was on the air. I've I've seen all of heavy metal and I've seen the future of heavy metal and it is Pat Boone. Well, <laughs> if if I walk out in a tuxedo, which he thought I was going to do, which I was wearing when he first told me yeah. he wasn't going to do his part, he thought, oh well, then Pat won't do his either. I went down, put on the outfit that Bill Ballou at, at Dick Clark's expense had made for me and stalked down the hallway and, and these rappers were getting out of the way because I came stalking down the hall <laughs> in this heavy metal outfit and getting out of my way. And he int Cooper introduces me as the future of rock and roll. Now, Dick had fog rolling on the stage and me arriving, a silhouetted figure coming up out of the fog in this heavy metal outfit and some somber sounding music, and I'm sort of stalking toward Cooper, and his jaw is dropped. He didn't know this. Was, he'd never seen it. Oh, he didn't know what was going to happen, and the crowd goes insane. I mean, it's, it's so noisy. Yeah. Dick Clark had said through the stage manager, you know, you can play with this a little if you want. I don't know what was in his mind, how he thought I would play with it. I didn't either, but it was so noisy, and I think what was happening was the younger people were saying, who is that? And the older ones were saying, well, they said it's Pat Boone, but it can't be Pat Boone. That's amazing. Why? Why? Who's Pat Boone? I mean, all this was going on. So I walked to the edge of the stage confronting the audience, stood there like De Niro and Taxi Driver, like, hey, you got a problem with this? You want a piece of me? Yeah. Like, But I'm having to do with attitude. I don't have a mic. So I just flexed the pecs on my, and the tattoos on my chest and walked back to Cooper, who just, his jaw is hanging open. And uh, and he goes ahead and says, oh, I said, Cooper, you know, I've done your song, No More Mr. Nice Guy, in my new album coming out tomorrow. And, and his line is, does this mean I have to sing Love Letters in the Sand? And I had prepared the sound man, if he, when he says that, turn up any effects you have for my answer. He says, do I have to sing Love Letters in the Sand? I believe, that would be nice. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, 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 um, and again, he dropped, he Jaw he, he just can't picture it. He, he just know, could not and, see and then it that we way. gave the award to for hard rock heavy metal to Metallica. That's they come so on funny. stage. I had done their song "Enter Sandman" in yeah, this album. I remember, and they're bowing to me like I'm That's the new lead amazing. singer. And and of course, I was kicked off Christian TV like that. Oh, you were kicked off? I didn't know oh, that. Oh yeah, immediately. Oh wow, you were on TBN. Oh TBN, Which a regular show, TBN. show called Gospel yeah. America, off the air, boom, and it hit the news the next day, not only the news about my wow. appearance, but that I was kicked off Christian television. Wow, I had no uh, idea. Because the, the Crouches and all at TBN were getting 
cards and letters and telegrams and phone calls. Oh, no. Pat Boone has sold us out. He's gone oh, over no. to the dark side. Yeah, because remember, there was like no more Mr. Nice Guy was like what yeah. they kept. So you shed your nice guy image. Yeah, yeah. And one night of just kind of like a comical this, I consider it satire. Like going to a party wearing a costume. Yeah, but, totally. But, but they took it as about the music. Now, did it actually? Did it create a lot of? I mean, that is fallout. But I mean, did it? Was it a lot of consequences, or was well, it, it went halfway real? up the chart the first week? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it went all the way to number six. Wow. On the hard rock chart, wow. number three on the alternative chart. I mean, it sold a lot of records, boom, like that. But uh, and then all the TV hosts, I mean, the news anchors, Brokaw, uh, Jennings, uh, uh, rather, all wanting to interview me. Yeah. Geraldo, what is this about? So I would jokingly say I did an album of heavy metal classics, big band jazz. There's nothing in them. <laughs> I said, the, the folks on Christian TV will understand eventually that there's nothing wrong with any of it. It's yeah. good music. I went on TBN about six weeks later with about 70 Christian bikers. All their motorcycles oh, were awesome. out in front of TBN. That's awesome. <clears throat> and, uh, and we talked about in, infiltrating the culture yeah. of, uh, of the, that I found not only good songs, but I got to know some of the artists like yeah. Dave Mustaine of Megadeth and Cooper yeah. and some of the others and these guys on uh, the nice guys really of Metallica yeah in in their in their normal lives they're good guys and these are poses that they take to sell music yeah and they're doing spectacularly well with it but many of them are married with kids and I don't know how many of them go to church. Yeah. <laughs> but it's quite but, a few are Christians now, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Megadeth got saved. So I was of, finding you know, that, you know, what the thing I learned was what Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Yeah. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. Yeah. And when I wore some leather, some tattoos, and I'd been judgmental of all the heavy metal scene, I didn't want anything to do with it until my my uh, musicians convinced me there were some good songs we could do big band jazz style. Wow. And so I learned now that there was good music there and also that I could really enjoy knowing some of the original artists. But now that I'm lumped in with them, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of criticism. Yeah. I was being judged as I had judged. Wow. And, um, and so I, I learned a great lesson from it. So I've tried not to be, judgmental of others but still that doesn't mean i can't go ahead and express myself yeah well no i'm glad we're ending on this story because i think <clears throat> you have that conversation with the christian television station tbn saying we have to go into culture and engage culture and you didn't actually do anything wrong no but it was because people had such an image of what was right or wrong and that happens a lot in entertainment and certain people are on certain types of shows and somebody has to play a murderer sometimes for a show yeah. to resolve right and i said i would play judas you know, Totally. And like for the sake of the story, mm -hmm. there are certain roles, there are certain things, there are certain songs to sing, there are certain places to be that is so often misunderstood by people that I think that that's one of the reasons why we're creating this conversation. And I'm so glad you're a part mm -hmm. of it because you've you've stood well in this conversation for so many decades. And I'm just so privileged to have you on the show and to hear from you. Just some of these stories I think are they're, they're really educational and enlightening to a lot of people who are now willing to have this conversation in a mass way. I think the body of Christ is having this conversation now for the first yeah. time. And so I so appreciate you. Thanks for pioneering. Where do you take your stand? And can you take a stand? Even if it might cost you, it has cost me. Yeah. It's cost me movie roles, TV shows. I don't get invited to any of the parties anymore yeah. <laughs> and the premieres, uh, but that's okay. I don't need to go anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
but but God opened doors where some doors were closed. He opened others. Yeah. And I will end with this. Young people have asked me for many years with stars twinkling in their eyes. How can I, how can I do what you did? How can I yeah. be a, how can I get ahead? And I'm, I'm a singer, I'm a comedian, I'm a dancer, I'm a pianist. How can I do it? How did you do it? And I say, I can only tell you what I did. Yeah. Make God your agent. You're oh, going to need awesome. an agent. You're going to need somebody that can open yeah. doors, create opportunities. If you get an opportunity, help you learn how to make the most of the opportunity. And that's what a good agent does. And so make God your agent. I love that. Let him give you honorable opportunities. And as long as you can do it without selling yourself and your morality, do it and see what happens. And, yeah. and he may lead you to something you like better, or he may give you success, but let him yeah. make the decisions for you. And then you can confidently move into them. And by the way, like all good agents, he expects 10%. <laughs> he actually expects 100%, doesn't yeah, he? He wants yeah. it all, but yes, 10% yeah, at, at minimum. 10% whatever you make from <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being on the show, seriously. Well, Thank you for everything. Sean, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring the Industry, our brand new podcast. And it's actually part of the podcast family of Exploring the Prophetic. If you subscribe now, you're going to hear weekly stories on Wednesdays that are everyday people like you and I who are hearing God and God is changing our options. He's changing our world. He's transforming culture around us because we're saying yes and obedience to God. And then on Fridays, we have Exploring the Industry. So make sure to subscribe and you're going to hear these amazing stories twice a week. And we need these stories right now. I know if, if you're like me, you need the encouragement. So come join the conversation. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Industry. We're believing that God's going to change the world through the entertainment industry. And we want to invite you into the conversation. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell to this podcast. Also visit us at bowlsministries.com where you're going to find tons of resources to help you on your spiritual journey.